Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I'm going on tonight to start um, number four on spiritual warfare. This is a really good series for us. Let's just do a little quick review. The best spiritual warfare is understanding my identity. We've already been talking about that. You know, as a creation of the great designer, there's nothing about you that's a mistake. Not your color or your age or your hair or your nose, your body shape or style or length or... You know, I wear a nine shoe, and Lynn is like 500 inches shorter than me, but she wears just one inch, I mean, sometimes just a half inch. I mean, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think her feet should be way smaller, like TT. She's got a six or something, like two maybe. She's got a, she's got a little stub on the end of her sticks. <laughs> but see, God designed all that. He designed all that. And what we've done is we've tried to conform ourselves into some pre-described value system of what we should be like. You know that's true, right? And and see, you should notice in the world how the counterfeit is working. It's a reaction to I don't know who I am. So I can be anything. I can be anything. I mean, and the media is just, they're on whatever is just whatever they decide's on that day. None of that has anything to do with what God's got going on, on the earth. That's why we can't, if we look at it and it makes you afraid, stop looking at it. If you look at it and say, well, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to change that, then keep looking at it. You've got to know what you're able to handle. See, what we've done, we've become absorbed in media to where we're out of function with our design from God, our assignment from God. Would you agree? And so part part of just being a human is that you're at war with the devil and you didn't get to, you didn't get to vote. How do you feel about that? What? Yeah. How many feel ready? Raise your hands. See, the rest of y'all have to realize what's actually going on. You haven't stepped into your lane of identity. Because once you're in your lane of identity, you're like, bring it. I know how I'm going to war. I'm not afraid of the devil. You know, it's interesting. Cece's going to read this really cool word she wrote. But it dawned on me that that it it gave me a little snapshot. I already know this to be true, but in the room we have the under-responsibles and the over-responsibles. Really, most of life is divided up. Most most over-responsibles marry an under-responsible, and they spend their life trying to get that under-responsible, under-motivated, under-visionary person motivated towards their vision. They come up with, with posters and stars and charts and all kinds of things, hoping it's what? Going to motivate the under-responsible. And the under-responsible the whole time going, why are you doing all that? We could just coast. We can be on food stamps. We don't have to work. We don't have to do any of this stuff. You're just so busy. 
And all the over-responsibles are angry. Come on, I'm talking to some of y'all. Get your toes out here so I can step on them. And all the under-responsibles are just like, yeah, that makes me tired. And see, we have to realize neither extreme are right. Personally, I would much rather be in the over-trying world because I'm an over-responsible. <laughs> right? The under-responsibles are good with naps. They're good with not showing up. They're good with not working. They're good with food stamps. They're good with those things because they say to them, I don't have to do that. Somebody else is doing it for me. They don't really count the cost, though. You know, when you're on food stamps, you don't count the cost of where it's coming from. You don't get it. And and in the kingdom, the kingdom model is that there's no needs among us. Right? But everybody works. In fact, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So that's pretty straight to me. Right? But see, our viewpoint of what we're doing is always off. That's why we can't rely on ourselves. That's why we have to rely on something that's sharpening me. That's why I have to have connection. Because the connection is sharpening stuff I can't see on myself. I'm actually a prickly pear, and I think I'm just all loving. And so I need to get up against something that keeps rubbing. Right? And that's what the family of God is supposed to be for. But when we stay aloof in the family of God, we're good. There's no, we don't know how prickly we are because we're good, right? No scrapings happened this week, so it makes me feel good. As long as there's no conflict, I'm good. But see, that's not real. And so the crazy part about this life is that you can do that, but the enemy will beat you up. You will be tormented in your, tormented in your mind, in your emotions, in your relationships, because guess what? He is not going to rest. He is pounding, 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 even when you're doing nothing. He doesn't ever give up. Pounding, pounding, pounding. Why? Because you're the enemy. We have to wake up that we have an enemy. Doing nothing doesn't make the enemy go away. But see, God has given us all these amazing tools. Remember what I said on Sunday, if you were the enemy of you, what would you use to keep you defeated? It's a really good question you need to be asking yourself. And the second thing I said Sunday was you got to know your warrior costume. And let me just give it to us in a snippet. These are them. Truth, rightness, peace, faith, salvation. Guess what? Those are all love from God. They're not something that you have to work at, you have to muster, you have to pay for, you have to buy, you have to scrape and scramble and and fight for. They were the gift of his love. He just enraptured you with the armor. So it's not some stick I'm going to beat something over with. It's actually the knowledge that I am upright. I am right. I live in righteousness. And so I live by that truth. I'm not trying to attain it. It was a gift. It was a gift. I got this shirt for my birthday, and I was making CC coffee, and I got it all over my shirt, so now it stinks like coffee, and that makes me sad. 
But this is a gift. It's still a gift. Just because it got stained with that nasty coffee, it's still a gift. I'm still wearing it. Just because you did something to stain your little faith or your little rightness one day or your little salvation one day or your little faith one day, you still have it. You're still wearing it. It still looks good on you. So don't be trying to tell God, hey, I messed up. He's like, I don't even care. Don't be trying to use your mess ups and your shortcomings and all the stuff you don't think you can change at. He's like, I do not care about anything. I am the author. I am the finisher of your faith. I started it. You didn't even start it. You weren't even involved in its start. And so you can't mess it up. You weren't involved in the creation of you. You weren't involved in the timing of you. You weren't involved in your hair color. You weren't involved in the day or the age that God said you were going to be awakened to your destiny. You weren't involved in any of that. And so this armor is not some big thing. We have to figure out a whole bunch of stuff. It's really just about what you'll believe. You know, there's this whole movement right now, and I'm going to step on somebody's toes here, I hope. But let's belong before we believe. I'm sorry, that is not kingdom. Kingdom says the first step into the kingdom is that I believe. You have to believe that He is the Son of God. You have to believe. That belief positions you to belong to the family of God. That's everybody trying to come in the back door without any sort of uh, cost. Sure, everybody wants to come in, belong, get all the goods, get all the stuff, get all the benefits of the family. Yeah, we don't want to have to believe anything. Try to convince me to believe. I'm done with that. You need to be done with that. The truth of the word is out there. It is plain. It is black and white. It is easy to see. It's been proven and proven and proven. Live by that for a while. Live by a standard that makes everybody else measure up to the standard. Instead of lowering your standard, letting it down, make sure nobody feels offended by you. Offend somebody. You know, the armor of God is it's such a gift that we have to understand everything that God decided that humanity needed was given to humanity. Until we wake up to that truth, we will live as poverty, orphan-stricken people in our mind when he's not going to do anything else to solve the orphanness. He's doing nothing else. He's not going to give you another truth. There should be no one in this room that operates in the orphan mindset because too much truth has gone out. All you've done is plugged up your ears with corn cobs then because you can go back to message after message after message after message, small group after small group after small group. It all points to the same thing. You have an assignment, and when are you going to grow up enough to do it? That's all it points to. And anybody in this room gets to choose it. And God says he will reward those that choose it. That's his plan. Personally, I'm going to live by the reward system. God invented the reward system for children. Danny Silk didn't. 
God did. He invented that system. We were all raised in the punishment mentality. That's what you're still trying to get over. Trying to act like it's God. Trying to act like it's God's people. Trying to act like it's me. So I, I'm not going to do the rest of those right now. So I had this encounter with God the other day, and um, it was, it was after Cece had read her word that she's going to read here in a minute. And I thought I had this thought in my mind that part of what she's going to read in her word is just how she has put on this armor that wasn't the armor of God. And I saw this picture in my mind where she was this little girl. She called it the little girl armor. She's this little girl and she has all this huge, she has this enormous sword. And Papa has her by the hand and he's trying to teach her how to operate with his armor, not the one that she made. Guess what that was made from? Self-protection. See, that is the number one thing about the enemy. He's strategic. This is a spiritual war. Agreed? So his strategy is to try to make you work harder at something that's free so that you'll get tired doing something that's actually been given to you for free. And y'all, we've all done it. Religion made us do it. And we worked so hard in religion. We were exhausted. I remember sitting in my room one time thinking, man, I have done Everything. I was the rich young ruler. I've done everything. I've kept every commandment. I've done everything, but I, I don't see any of the stuff. Remember that day, Pammy? And see, I had to go back to the drawing board. See, what we do is we try some little something, and then we're like, well, I guess, I guess I'm not called to that. That was, the, that was religion's number one thing. You're just not called to that. All the special people, just the God man is called to that. Right? That's not even biblical. It's weird. We take so many things out of context. I had to listen to this guy the other day that cracked me up. He was talking about what women should look like when they wear clothes. And I was like, oh, God, help him. I mean, like, and so, anyway, but that helped me to also think of this story. So I wanted to tell you this story, okay? So let's turn to 1 Samuel 7, 16. Let's go 16. Um. In verse 15, uh, chapter 15, I'm going to tell you a little story first. It's the story of Saul, not the New Testament Saul, Paul, but this is the Old Testament King Saul. And I'm not going to read further back, but in chapter 15, um, basically, God told the prophet Samuel. You know, remember about Samuel, don't you? Okay, great. Told him he was the prophet, and he told Samuel the prophet to tell Saul what to do. So God gave him some very specific instructions, and Saul just did a part of it because I'm sure that you know he just—he's just like the rest of us. He—I mean, it just can happen. It can happen in a service like this where Shudi could be standing up here going. What I am not getting any words, and I'm like waiting on her to see if she's going to click over that this is that season of not understanding. So you know she began to, to just keep pressing in, praying in tongues, and and that see that's the thing is that 
when God prescribes or ordains or speaks or says something, we need to really follow it all the way out. You know, we are not good at that. We're good at doing a little bitty bit of it. And then we want the benefit as if we did the whole thing. And so I'm sure that you have heard a couple of these scriptures on pluck out of chapter 15, but one, in verse 11, um, it says that Saul has stopped, God says, um, Saul has stopped following me. <laughs> so I'm sorry that I made him king. He's not doing what I tell him. And it says that Samuel the prophet became mad and he cried all night long. Want to be a prophet? So, guess what? Guess what? God told Samuel to do. He said, he told him to go tell him, you know, hey, you didn't listen. So, verse 19, so why didn't you listen to the Lord? This is the easy to read version, by the way, of the Bible. You did what the Lord said is wrong because you wanted to keep what you took in the battle. And Samuel and Saul said, I did obey the Lord. <laughs> I just brought back the one thing, the king. And see, now God had told him to kill all the Amalekites, okay? But now see, what you have to understand in this story is that God was teaching Saul to war. And so he was teaching him why he had to get rid of the whole kit and caboodle. And so... Of, of course, you know, Saul is just defending himself, right? He didn't actually obey God. He said, I did obey except for the one thing. That's not obedience. That's what we have to understand is that when we begin to reason with God like that, we already have stepped into disobedience. You remember what I said a couple of weeks ago about obedience? It's actually words put into action by me. Really, just think about it. Try to remember to obey the whole thing. If God says give $10 and you give $750, it's, it's the same thing that Saul's saying. And see, I know it's hard to hear, but when God gives us something to obey and we don't do it, he has the same response that he had here. Just because Jesus came doesn't mean that God's not like, dang, I mean, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we should feel more empowered than sandal-wearing guys, right? And so this is, a, is one of the, my favorite scriptures, and I've studied a lot. I don't have time to tell you everything about it. But verse 22, Samuel said to him, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Because what he was saying was, we didn't kill the king, but we're going to come and sacrifice all these animals to God. Do you understand? That's what we do. We choose the things that we're going to give to God and we choose the things we're going to withhold for ourselves. And then we say, give me the full benefit of the blessing. We can see this clearly, right? And it says, obedience to the voice of the Lord is better than sacrifice. Right? And so, you know, this is still Saul, you know, you know, talking about how great he was. So then the very next 
verse in chapter, I mean, the very first verse in chapter 16, God says to Samuel, because he's already said he didn't reject him as a person, Saul, right? They rejected him as king, right? right. Do you understand the difference? Because, see, God is, is inviting us all to be leaders. He's inviting us all into this harvest. And it's your choices of obedience that qualifies you. You don't get to have the excuse that it's too hard. I don't know. I was busy. I was in bed. I was lazy. I was sick. I, we don't get to use those excuses. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm telling you the truth, even if you don't like it. He says, to Samuel, how long will you mourn over Saul? I have rejected him as king over my people Israel. Now take your horn and fill it with oil and depart. I have selected a new king for myself out of the sons of Bethlehem. And Samuel says, how can I do that? If Saul's here, I'm anointing a new king. He'll kill me. Of course, God answers that question. <laughs> he doesn't even answer that question. Take a heifer with you <laughs> and say, I've come to sacrifice to the eternal. Invite Jesse to that sacrifice. And when he arrives, I'll show you what to do. You will anoint for me the one I'll show to you. He doesn't even answer that question. Saul's going to be mad. God could care less. You want to be a prophet? Do you want to be a prophet? You've got to be able to say the things that God says to say. That's what a prophet is. It's a spokesperson for God on earth. He tells his prophets first. So Samuel did what the eternal one said. And I love this. Um, you know, they, they, uh, the elders come out to meet him and everything. We jump on down to um, verse 5. It says, Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice as well. And when they came, he noticed the eldest son, Eliab. And Samuel said to himself, getting in some reasoning, surely this is the one, the anointed, the uh, eternal one will anoint. And the eternal one said to Samuel, take no notice of his looks or his height. He's not the one. For the eternal does not pay attention to what humans value. Humans only care about the external appearance, but the eternal considers the inner character. And see, that's really what we're talking about in spiritual warfare. If I don't know my identity from the inside out. See, that's, that is the problem with religion, is religion is fine and is satisfied by you doing an exterior example of what it would look like if your heart was actually changed on the inside to its degree, to its reasoning. And see, anybody that's been in religion, you're going to have to get over this hurdle. That that is not kingdom. And that is not this house. That is not what God's doing on the earth right now. God is searching the hearts of men and women. And he is extracting out of us everything in us that does not love him and love people. And so that's what he, he right there that tells us everything we need to know about God. Every promotion, every qualification has to do with what you've done on the inside. You can make it for yourself. You can make anything happen for yourself. And you can get money from people and you can make anything happen. You can buy a car. You can start a business. You can run sound. You can preach. You can do miracles. You can do anything. Shockingly, did you know you can do all that without God? 
But see, promotion comes from what God sees on the heart. And you want God to promote you because he funds what he promotes. And let me tell you, if you don't get the promotion, if you don't get the new car, if you don't get the new house, it's because the inner job is not being done. Don't look around and blame people and blame your boss or blame the people that won't loan you the money. It's an inner work that he's working on. And see, that's why it's got to become a priority to us. It's got to become the priority. There's two things that God is always refining. He's refining that verse. Let's read it real quick. It's in Matthew. Let's turn there. Matthew, or let's go to the Mark one. Uh, Mark 12. I do have a slide for this. Let me tell you which one it is. It is. Yes, 27. Right there it is. Yes. Little bitty tiny writing for you. It says, The most important of all the commandments is this the Lord Yahweh our God is one. So that's the first thing you got to know. Did you hear the word there is commandment, not suggestion? So if God gives a commandment, what is he doing? He is he is measuring us by what he commands us to do. So that means he's constantly refining us according to what he says for us to do. So he says, you are, you are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with every passion of your heart, all the energy of your being, and every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. You know, honestly, the Ten Commandments are, fall into these two commandments, if the truth be told. But see, why did God even have to do the Ten Commandments? See, that's why he made it more simple. Because, see, Jesus empowered us to love, right? And, see, that's why he's saying it's the number one. That's the thing he's refining in us. Think about how we are refined to love more. Do you even know? You were talking the other night about going to Haiti. Man, going to Haiti made me love a lot of stuff. It made me love that big blue trash can that we just go out conveniently and throw our little designer trash bag that we get to match our trash can in the house because we want black and not white with the scented. And we just get to throw that in big blue and some big green truck drives down on Tuesday morning and and goes... Haiti, no, right here's the trash can. Right here is the trash can. You just walk along and there you just throw all your trash. There's just, if it rains, there's a sea of trash running down the street and they have lots of hills. And so at the bottom of the hill is all the trash for forever. So everything smells like a trash heap. Everything smells like out here at 240. Have you been out here? Just go. Everyone should go out to the great trash heap on I-240 or down on, on council. One time in your life. Yes, Haley, you. You should go and you should get out of the car and you should walk around in that trash heap just for a second. That's Haiti. And see, in that moment, you get an appreciation for things. This is how love is forged. See, love is forged by something that I couldn't buy myself. I couldn't do for myself. 
And the gratitude for love envelops us as we see how awesome he is, us, how grand, how, how grand he is, how, how, oh my gosh, we have no idea what it's like to even suffer. And so it, it, out of that gratitude, then I do things in response to this great love of his. That's why when I go to work, I don't go to work for the people I'm working for. I go to work for Jesus. That's not work. That is like watching. And see, you can turn your business wherever you are into that same thing. You can turn the bank into that. You can turn the love shack into that. You can turn whatever that's called. Just left my mind for a minute. You can turn anything into that. Right? Because, see, you're practicing letting the love, the knowledge of how much he loves you infiltrate every single thing you think and do. All of your strength, all your mind. I love that word right there. I think I actually made a little slide for it. I did. The soul. This is one of the things you're training to love God. How many know your soul's crazy? God intends for your soul, the seat of your feelings, desires, and affections, emotions, good or bad, to love him. I've trained my soul to love him. I get it when David says, my heart and my soul pant after God. Not just the spiritual side of me. The soul part of you that knows you cannot live without him, that knows you, he is the air you breathe, that knows that every single item, every single thing about you was made by him, was given to you as a gift, as a privilege. So then I don't measure everything about, well, I should be doing this right now in my job. They should have had me do this right now, and they shouldn't have me do that right now, and I should, we don't have that. Because since I love God, I'm just so appreciative that I can get up every day. I'm so appreciative of what he set before me to steward. See, that's just, at the end of the day, we're really just learning to steward these things. It has to start with you. Some of y'all are so far from stewarding your own soul, it can tell you when to get up. It can tell you whether you like stuff or not. It can tell you whether just to say mean things or not. It can tell you whether you want to pay something or not. It just it has so much that it just is infiltrating everything you decide. And then you're not being a leader because what did I say about a leader? Oh, see, we need to read that again. Let's go back. Say, well, we've already forgotten it. Number six, they know what they value and they do behavior. What is behavior? It's your action. It's what everybody sees that you're doing. If you show up when you say you're going to show up, if you don't, if you complain, if you're in or you're out, that, that's your behavior. And see, a leader does things to support what they value. If you value the house, you just look around here. Judy values the house. She values worship. So what is it? She's always on point. She's always ready to go. She's always prayed up, stayed up as my grandma's paid up, as my grandma would say. She's ready to go. There's nothing hindering her from her worship. We should all come into the room that way. Otherwise, we're just coming in. Well, I don't really feel like doing anything. They had a bad day. They I'm really tired. I wish we could just lay down. I hope I just get to sit down. I hope I don't have to raise my hands. I hope they don't do hard so much. I hope they don't have to do this. I hope they don't have to do that. You start thinking of all these things you hope don't happen. I'm going to spend 30 minutes in the bathroom sitting down on the toilet. So because everybody else is out there worshiping, nobody will miss me. And it's just like, is that why we came to worship? 
playing on my phone, playing a game during worship. Really? I mean, that God is like, what? Right? So the other thing, go jump back down there, Siwo. The other thing is our mind, good and bad. Think about a bad thought that you have had today. Got it? Right now, say, how can I love God with that thought? You know, I've just decided that every bad thought I have is just a place God's about to invade something. Oh, man, I feel afraid. Oh, he must be going to eradicate fear today. I'm so excited. Man, I'm glad you told me what you were on today because otherwise I would have thought that was me. Oh, man, I got a headache. Oh, Lord, you must be healing headaches today. Man, you are healing. Otherwise, I would have thought it was me and I would have taken a bunch of pills. But thank God I know that it's you on the move. Good and bad. We categorize everything. We help the devil condemn ourselves. Come on, devil. Let's just condemn ourselves today. Come on. Let's get in here in the bedroom where nobody can see us. Let's get in here in the bed. Come on. Let's beat ourselves up, man. You're just no good. You don't like to read the word. You're not good at reading the word. You just don't even like to do this. You must not love God. You must not. That's why that person left you and they don't like you anymore. I mean, we're just in there. Come on, devil. Let's go to the condemning party. I'll join you. Turn that. And uh, wow, man, somebody must be heavy, heavy under condemnation today. Papa, I just thank you. I'm probably going to run into them at the store in five minutes. I just thank you for preparing me for I walk out the door that that's what's going to be happening. I'm going to be prepared. I want to have my no condemnation, your love shirt on. Good or bad? How many of those can you turn around to love him? And all your strength. That means every single thing you do is for Him. Everything you do is for Him. Now take all those and apply them to you. Because you're going to love who's sitting next to you as good as you love yourself. That's the two things He's refining in you. You can't get away from it. He's unrelenting. You can even take a time out for six months, a year, Whatever, you just decide. I'm just not going to be on that right now. I'm just not going to be on loving God or loving people right now. I'm just not going to be on that right now. And he'll be like, okay, I'll still keep planning it. He'll keep turning stuff around to where you have to love him again. You noticed? Stuff don't work out. (laughs) Dang. That falls through. Lose that money. I got so many stories of so many customers that have been right there, and I'm just watching on a video how God is returning them back to love. It don't feel like it. feels like all crap is hitting the fan. <laughs> but it's God. He's returning it back. Don't get in the way. If you, if you know somebody, you're married to somebody, just get out of the way. Let, let, <laughs> let God hit on full in the face. <laughs> And just be like, yes, returning to love right there. Don't bail them out. Don't rescue them. God has to work so hard because you keep rescuing them. You keep getting the bucket and and dumping it out of the boat. Let the boat sink so they'll know. That's the two things he's refining in us. Let's go back real quick to our David story. I'm almost done. Just hang with me. 
So we already know that God looks at an internal character. So that's why his number one goal is to refine you to love. God started out with love. Honestly, you did too. You know, when you were a kid and your first word you learned was no, that began the refining process of love. See, unconditional love means you're unconditionally loved no matter what you do. We don't know that very well. We don't know that very well. And so when I come into this understanding that he is only looking at what's inside, I care so, trust me, I care so little about the outside. I work so hard with him, the author and finisher of this faith of mine, to cultivate and refine my love walk. Everything is defined because God is love by how well we love, how well we learn to love. And the refining process of love has to be through the things that we do. When we do something, we need to have, see, a leader wants to be open to feedback, wants to be open to let somebody tell them to actually challenge them. You know, it's weird how we've got the society that doesn't even want to be challenged. They just want to be the lowest level of whatever they've decided they can be. And that's not kingdom. So anyway, back to, so, so he, um, he met David, as we know, verse 13, still in first Samuel 16, it says this, uh, Samuel took the horn filled with olive oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers and the spirit of the eternal fell strongly on David and remained on him from that day forward. So you fast forward and, you know, what happened was, is that, you know, Saul realized he was rejected and I'm sure he found out that someone else had been anointed. And so then he went nuts. He got into all kinds of crazy witchcraft crap, right? Right? See, because what Samuel told him was that this, that God wanted obedience because the sin of disobedience was like witchcraft. And so then he just did it. So then, that went right over your head. Then, then he went, then he began to feel tormented. So then what did he want? He needed a soother. So who did he pick to soothe him? The anointed one. Be careful. So, so then first Samuel 17. So this is an interesting story. This is what I'm going to end with. It says that the Philistines had gathered an army for battle. And this is the story of David and Goliath. Okay. And so the funniest verse to me is this verse in verse eight. It says, Goliath stood up. Now, see, they came to fight against Judah, right? They gathered the army. Do you remember what just the two chapters before what happened? There was an army. And what did Saul do? He didn't. He didn't annihilate everybody. So here. So guess what? The word's out. So here they come. This is what Goliath said. Why have you come to fight us? They didn't come to fight them. They came to fight us. See how the enemy distort. Do you see it at all? The word is out that Sam, Saul's not king anymore. That's really what's going on here. And so he, they're like, we can take them. Sheep without a shepherd. 
So it says, Goliath said, why have you come to fight us? Am I not a Philistine, a warrior for a powerful empire? And don't you just serve Saul, your so-called king? It's already happening. Choose for yourself as a champion. Send him out to me. If he kills me when we fight, then we will serve you. But if I defeat him and kill him, then you will serve us. Today I challenge the entire army of Israel. Send me someone to fight. Well, I love, don't you love that? Guess how long they were out there doing this taunting. One can't, One army was on one mountain. Judah was on one mountain, Saul's army, and the Philistines were on the other. Forty days. They stood out there and did this chanting, tanting, taunting thing. That's funny, right? So in that moment, Jesse says to take some cheese and bread to the troops. Right? Jesse's a father, right? And remember, how old is David here? They say he's probably a teenager, 15 or so, right? So he got up and he obeyed all of Jesse's instructions. So he wasn't king yet. Remember? He'd just been anointed. He's just a little boy. He's just a little boy. How old can you be to learn to obey? He's just a little boy. Obedience is in the heart of a king. It says, David reached the camp and he was talking to the soldiers and his brothers got mad, you know, because he was asking questions. And this is what David said. No uncircumcised Philistine can get away with taunting the armies of the living God. And, and the soldiers are like, oh my gosh, you know, and David's older brother say, shut up, you know, what are you doing, you know? And David's like, I'm just asking questions, dude. I don't even know what your problem is. And so... David came to Saul and he said this, don't let anyone be frightened. David, the 15-year-old boy, because of that man, because I'm your servant and I'll go fight with him. And Saul said this, don't be ridiculous. You can't fight the Philistine. You're just a youth. And he has been a warrior since his childhood and you lack age and experience. And this is what David said. I've worked as a shepherd for my father. And whenever a lion or a bear has come and attacked one of my lambs, I've gone after it and struck it down and rescued the lamb out of the predator's mouth. If it turned to attack me, I would take it by the chin and I would beat it and kill it. I've killed both the lion and the bear. As your servant, I will kill this uncircumcised Philistine too, since he has dared to taunt the armies of the living God. The, he says, this is what David says, the eternal one was the one who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and will save me from this hand of the Philistine. So David said all that to Saul. And so this is what Saul did. Saul outfitted David in the king's own armor. In the easy to read version Bible, it says Saul put his clothes on David. And the question for you tonight is whose clothes are you wearing? Because see, that's what has happened to most of us is that someone who's no longer in authority over our lives put clothes on us, put armor on us. And so when God says armor up, all we can remember is somebody else that put their clothes on us. And I propose to you the reason why David said what he did is because what he learned as a shepherd are these five things. Real quick, Siwo. These things right here. He learned total dependence on God. He learned humility. He learned skills. He learned how to have a relationship with God. He learned confidence and he learned bravery while 
He was being a shepherd. And while you're doing whatever your shepherding duties are, you're learning skills for your next kingly duty. And it's very important that we pay attention to what we're learning. Come on, Mendel. Oh, so good. So good. I know Tisa had about 10 more hours worth of material she could have shared with us on that. But whew, thank you for getting that much in, Tisa. It was really, really good. And it's true. It's so true that I'm, I'm seeing the analogy in the story, the mes message for us in the story, that you know David was already anointed as king, just as you are already anointed for your purpose and your destiny. David already had a destiny, he had a purpose, he had a design, and everything. He wasn't doing it yet, but it was that was already determined. So do you. Yeah. We, we each are in that position. Yeah. And we're kind of, I, I really feel like a lot of us are at that position right now where, where she just said David was, where we came, we're in the middle of doing our shepherding job, right? And then we come up to this point where it's like, oh, I have a I have a moment to step into my role here. I have a moment to step into my destiny. But David had to know in that moment what really qualified him to do what he knew out of truth that he he knew inwardly this truth. Okay? He had a spiritual, personal experience knowledge of what was true about God. Real simple. Nobody can come against God's people that way. That's just black and white simple. He was like, that ought not be. And I know that God does what he says and that God can deliver his people. So he knew some foundational truth. But then, like Tisa said, somebody said, well, okay, if you're going to do your purpose, here is this armor to put on. And like she said, they dressed him in their armor. But if our spiritual warfare is connected to our identity and you have a unique identity, then no one, no one else's armor is going to work for you, especially not somebody who is no longer anointed in their purpose or in their role. <laughs> so if we have people in our past who have dressed us in clothing, dressed us in armor or identities or roles or functions, and they're not anointed to be doing what they're doing in that moment, then that armor is not going to be appropriate. And so it's, it was up to David to know in that moment, because as you know, if you know the story, he says, no, this, is, this stuff is too heavy. This won't work, I don't, and I don't need it. So our position right now, where I believe we're at right now, is, to, is in that moment right there, where we are, the Holy Spirit is revealing some things that we have dressed ourselves with or someone else has put on us, that we have a moment and an opportunity to say, is this going to work or is this not going to work? Is this something I really need or is this actually going to work against me in what God's called me to do and in walking out the truth that he has, has given me up to this point? And so I wanted to share this um, you know, personal moment that I had where I now realize that's exactly what I was doing. And so um, I like to share, you know, my process with you. I know I was reminded of that scripture today. The Holy Spirit was encouraging me that in Revelation 12, where it talks about we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Yeah. And so we've heard some incredible truths today about what the truth that came through the blood of the lamb. And now I'm going to share with you a testimony of what he did for me. And so that's how we overcome. Yeah. 
And so I hope that, you know, you guys will find yourself in this process. It's not going to be exactly your topic or your, the details may be different for you, but the process is available for everyone. And so what I had noticed was that, um, you know, certain things that I would hear Tisa would say in her message, I wouldn't necessarily, I would realize they bumped up against something in me. So when she says, for example, spiritual warfare should be fun, I'm thinking, that's not my experience. I'm not always happy about spiritual warfare. And in fact, in the moments when I know I'm facing enemy opposition, I bump up against something in myself that makes me not want to be happy about it either. You know, it makes, I have this reaction internally that worked against me being able to do what I even knew that I needed to do or what someone may advise me to do. And I literally told Tisa in the green room just last week, I think, I said, well, I know what you're saying is true, but I'm not happy about it. I mean, I literally told her that, you know, this was prior to this process. I said, I'm sorry, but I just can't be happy about it. And so I was recognizing in myself that there was this thing that would happen when I would encounter this opposition where I would be so mad and I would be so angry. And the only sense that I could make out of that, because I would, fig- I would try to look to see, well, who can I be mad at in this moment, you know? And I'm like, well, it's, I can't, it's not them. It's not them. It's not them. And, you know, I can't find anybody to be mad at. I can't blame anybody for this moment. In fact, I realized that even in my logic, I know that it's true that we are in a, in a battle. And so I can't even blame God because he says we're going to face opposition, right? right? But I'm mad that I'm in opposition, but I know I'm going to face opposition. So there's a conflict there, right, where those two things can't, can't both exist. And so I recognized that I was getting this angry response in myself that would make me really feel um, unwilling to do what I knew I needed to do. And it, it looked like stubbornness on the outside. And so I decided I would ask him about it because I knew there was something in there. Like I started wondering, why do I even have that response? Why do I get angry? And so that's where I started with him, and I'm going to share that process with you. And so I wrote, Papa, I need your help seeing into me. I need your help identifying this force that seems to be at work in me. Seeds have been sown long before they were known, long before I knew what was being planted in me and the harvest they would bring. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for making a way for such things to be uprooted, unplanted, for making a way for their harvest to be canceled. I'm undone and overwhelmed with your gracious love for me and for your children. Who could say that you were without mercy? It's so plain to see to me. Your mercy is extravagant in every way. You're so willing to reach deep into the depths of me to show me the seeds that need uprooting, to show me just the place to exercise the grace you've given me, the supernatural authority you've granted me. That's the authority to uproot the seed. He gave us that authority. We can just choose it. And we have been given the supernatural power and ability to uproot it. Thank you for your mercy, for your extravagant love. You're so kind and so generous with your time and attention. 
thank you for coming to tend to this garden with me. I feel a seed stirring, one that's been festering and desperate to come to life. I've held it back as long as I could. I've spent so much effort trying to snuff out its life, but it still stirs, and I sense you're saying it's time to pluck it out of this garden of mine. So I began to just explain to him the feeling, because all I know what to do is start with how it's feeling to me, right? I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what needs to be uprooted. I just know there's a feeling. So I just start explaining it. I start telling him. We can start right there. Just tell him how it feels. Tell him what your thoughts are. And so I said, I feel angry. I get mad at the things that seem to block, the things that come in and work against what my heart is trying to do. My heart is trying to speak. It's trying to lead. It's trying to go forward and run after the things it's passionate about. The thing deep inside that fuels it, that burns with the fire inside. That place that seems to be the very source of life, the fire burning inside from the deepest place in me. It's trying to speak. It's trying to sing. It's trying to run after things, to pursue to pursue what it knows is right and what it knows it needs. It's a burning, passionate cry from within that is trying to live. It's trying to rise. It's trying to align with the voice it's hearing inside. It's trying to agree. It's trying to operate in sync with what it knows to be true. It's trying to operate as it was designed to. It's trying to be unified in its one purpose in life. It's trying to be aligned with the fire inside, to be obedient to its truth and to run with it, to not be silent or lie dormant, but come to life, to burst forth with action, to match the words that stir inside. But, but there's always something. There's always something coming to snuff out its life, coming to trip it up, to steal its pace and disrupt its gait. There's always something right out of the gate, something asking it to pause, to wait, to do it a different way, something that says, no, 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 you can't be that way. No, you only thought you could run at this pace. You only thought you were allowed to live this way. No. There's always something, a current working against it, a stumbling block just past the starting block. It's so ready to run its race. It hears the gunshot and takes off fully intent to run at its fullest pace all the way to the end of the race. But no, there's always something. There's always something. History seems to be filled with the somethings that stood in the way, blocking this heart from having its say and running its race. But I've been persistent. I've fought the fight with endurance, saying, I won't stop. I won't surrender. I won't quit trying. I won't. I will always keep trying. More fuel has been spent, it seems, on this endurance than running the race itself. History seems filled with these moments, but I've grown calloused, I think, 
calloused in this endurance, in this response. This place of response to the somethings has grown weary and grown heavy. It feels like the wrong monument was built. This response was not what my life was meant for. This monument, this buildup, this muscle mass was not intended to be built here. This is not the why that burns in the, the fire within. I think I've come to resent it. I'm mad that I need it, and I'm angry that it's still the site for the fight, the place of life. So I was starting to identify, pinpoint, get to a certain pinpoint place, right? Finding the seed. And so Papa started to speak, and he said, Daughter, it's time we redefine the fight. There was a time when you were young when my spirit within you was wronged. It was wronged, and you knew it. Only you didn't know why or the who behind the fight. You simply knew that there was something worth defending inside. So with all your little girl strength, you prepared for battle. You put on your little girl armor and learned to war with all the wisdom and strength you could muster. Years went by and you grew stronger, developing more grit and persistence with every fight. When you were weary, you just pushed harder. When you were scared, you dug your heels in deeper. If medals were given for little girl battles, you'd be wearing a coat of many honors. But you see, that's just it. It was always a little girl battle. No matter your age, no matter your strength, no matter your position or seeming rank, you were always a little girl in battle. And every little girl needs her father. The war you fought was real, waged by a very real enemy, but you were never meant to be alone in the battle. You were meant to know the strength and might of your father. You were meant to see him fight in every battle. You were meant to see him defend you. Over and over and over again, you were meant to see a father's defense. Every fight, every time you had to draw on your own strength was meant to be a marker that engraved on your heart the image of your father. This is what you were meant to grow stronger in. This is the monument that was meant to be built, not a callus layer after layer of self-defense, of self-protection. Not a monument of your endurance, but a monument of the demonstrated love of the Father. Daughter, in times of battle, this is the place of the fight. The battle takes place at the monument of demonstrated love of the Father. When opposition is faced, it's a time to run to this place. It's no longer a call to arms for you. It's no longer a time to put on that little girl armor. It's time for more of the demonstrated love of your father. 
Now, this is where it got even, went in even deeper. And he, he un, unraveled like the next three steps in my little cycle, right? He said, you are right to resent the armor you put on as a little girl. You're right to resent it. You are right to be angry at the voice that says it's time for you to take up that fight again. You should be angry at such a, mes- such a message. Once again, this is a place that you know my spirit is being wronged. Just as it first was long ago, you now see an offense coming against my spirit within you. Your anger is righteous. You can take it as a sign that something is offending my spirit inside. Don't wrestle with it. Instead, come and ask me about its target. I know you search for it, for a target that makes sense. And when you can't find it, you surrender to the voice that condemns. You accept that old language that says you're wrong for feeling a feeling so strong. You actually adopt the language that originally caused you to take up your own little girl armor. And when you do, you find yourself so very confused, not knowing which side of the battle you're on. So once again, you surrender to the voice that's most familiar, bracing yourself for being in trouble. This cascade of confusion and condemnation need never happen if you switch your definition of the battle. Every battle, every single one, equals the demonstrated love of your Father. So he redefined spiritual warfare for me. He redefined the battle. You know, we, I, he showed me this great picture today, this great analogy that he said, you know, of course, we come into the kingdom when we first get saved. We come in as orphans, and we come in with an orphan mindset and an orphan understanding, and we're just given all of these gifts where we see all of his promises and all of his truths. And so what do we do? All we have are little orphan hands at that point to hold on to it all, right? And so he showed me that we frame it. We put it in a picture frame. Okay, we frame up all the truths and the promises of God, and we think we can see it. We put it on our wall, and we're like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That life right there, that's what I'm expecting, and that I'm going to go and experience that now. Well, have you ever, these are probably cheap picture frames that I'm com- thinking of right now, but on the back of the picture frame, you know, the, where you put your picture in, the mat and all that stuff, and you put the little piece of cardboard on, and there's those little pieces of metal all the way around it that hold it all together and you have to push them down and hold them in he said that's kind of what our little orphan hands are doing we frame up the truths and the promises of God and then we hold it all together with these orphan definitions and orphan understanding those are the little prongs and so in his goodness he takes us through this on this journey where we start to realize this Something can't be right with what I've framed right here. What I'm holding this promise up with is actually not accurate. It's not, it's not true. It's, it's not in keeping with his word and in his truth. It's still orphan-minded. And so that's what he did for me because when I, when I 
when I heard of, of God and I read and heard John 10, 10, you know, you'll have the abundant life talking about overflowing and the peace that passes understanding and all of this. And then I start to live out my life and I'm willing to battle, but I'm always battling with this little girl armor. I'm always battling out of my own strength and my own understanding. And this thing that I put on or was put on me, however you want to look at it when I was young, that wasn't from him. And so I began to not only not see what it was what I'd framed in my picture, but I began to grow weary in the battle. And I began to resent that battle. And I began to have that moment where, like I said, I would be angry that I'm feeling opposition, but there's nowhere to direct this anger. You see how that happened? Because I have a clash right there because now I know the truth that God said there will be battles and there will be opposition. So why am I so angry about the battle? So that was my moment where I was putting on the armor that Saul was putting on David. I was putting on a mindset, a definition. It may not be necessarily a a way to battle for you. It may be another mindset. But someone was trying to put it on. I'm putting it on my own mindset. It's putting on this little girl armor. And he's like, that's the point right there that I'm telling you, that's not the armor that you need to do your calling. And so let me show you the right way. And so he came through. He showed me this. And if you remember, last Wednesday I shared in Romans 8, uh, 35 through 39, who can ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one. And we got down to verse 37, and it says, Even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. His demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So he, he was, it was a foretelling of what he was going to show me. So it was his demonstrated love is our glorious victory. It didn't say all the little girl strength you can muster up or all of your own wisdom or your own gumption or anything. That's where your victory is. And, you know, I've heard that taught before, but I didn't know it in the place this seed was planted. And so I didn't realize that my little prong on the back of my picture frame was holding up God's promises that way. And so he has to come in and, and speak to those little places and show, show us those seeds that have been planted in us that we didn't realize were being planted. And by his grace and his mercy, he's so, so good to just uproot them for us and show us then how to walk them out. And so just in the last few days when I start to, I'm starting to recognize all these different spots where I start going into striving or I start getting into fear and having these responses. And so now I'm just practicing saying, all right, well, you know, the battle is yours. And it actually feels completely different to say, all right, Papa, I know you are, you're going to battle for me and I get to go with you. I get to go see my father defeat the enemy. That sounds fun. I want to go see some warfare happen in that way. I get to go. And so my position is just shifting, and I'm just going to keep pressing in and practicing walking that out and renewing my mind in that way so that I can, I can enjoy spiritual warfare and I can war effectively with my identity. And so I just pray that each of you will be looking for those opportunities, those moments where somebody has put on their clothing 
for warfare on you. They're clothing their mindset, and it's not yours. And he's going to give you an opportunity to do what I did here. Press into that moment, those things that, that don't seem to line up, those moments of contradiction and conflict in what you believe and what you're experiencing, and see what he will show you, because he will bring you into a greater level of freedom. So, Papa, I just want to say thank you. I just thank you so much for what you've shown me in this word, and I thank you for the opportunity to share it, share it with everyone here and anybody else hearing this message, that this is an opportunity that you are anointing, that you are riding on right now to reveal these hidden seeds that are not of you in our garden. I thank you, and I just bless each person hearing this message, and and I, I just release a sense of um, great expectancy of great excitement, great expectancy of what you're going to do in them and what you're going to do through them, even for other people with their own testimony. And I ask that you would give them great courage, great courage to walk out this process. I thank you, Papa, that you've blessed us for such a time as this, that this is what you're doing in this season, is this refining so that we can walk with you in a greater way, in a greater measure, in a greater sense of joy. And I just thank you in advance for all the fruit, the sweet, pleasant, delicious fruit of sitting under your covering that comes, that we get to actually enjoy the process and the journey with you. So I thank you, Papa, that you said your yoke is easy, your burden is light. And so every place that it doesn't feel easy, it doesn't feel light, that you're coming for that place. You're coming for that place to bring us into truth that leads us and holds us together. And you're bringing us into the awareness of your grace and just how powerful it is. So I thank you, and I bless all the people hearing this word. I bless this as a reality for yourself that you can receive it tonight. And we just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you so much. Thank you, Papa. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.